Welcome to Desi Books Discourse, Neerthi and Shrayana. Looking forward to discussing Shrayana's book, Desperately Seeking Sharuk. And I'll start, we'll hand it over to you, Neerthi. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having us here. So uh, Shrayana, first of all, I've been intrigued by the book since the days you were pitching it. I was so, uh, I just jumped out of my chair the day I heard uh, the idea at my um, workplace. And I remember, um, because it's one of the most original frameworks we've come across. It combines fandom, economics, economies of fandom, women's rights, financial independence, issues plaguing the women in the workforce specifically, either it's a government job or if they're in a corporate sector or the labor force. You've touched upon consumer practices, uh, such as buying, trying to buy a Walkman uh, or a Shah Khan uh, cassette or uh, you know, pirated DVDs. And uh, viewing these films in defiance to not just the uh, patriarchal setup, but also industry norms. And the entertainment industry heavily relies on this fandom, 50% of which are women, how the idols are made and what they mean to those who idolize them. All of this you've tried to capture in a single book and you've succeeded immensely. And I just want to know where did it first begin? What was the seed? Uh, you know, was it a diary entry? Was it a conversation? Oof. Uh, it was an accident and it was an accident <laughs> born out of uh, the the sheer boredom of many people I was talking to. So Neeti, as you know, the book started in 2006 um, and I've essentially followed a set of women from 2006 and their lives. I was privileged to follow them from 2006 all the way up to 2020 and the book tells their story. And it so happened that in 2006, I was in my early 20s. I was very foolish, not that I'm less foolish now, but I think I'm a bit better at, at, at hiding it, perhaps. Um, I had just been trained in quantitative economics and the way economists are taught to do surveys, right? So you go ask a bunch of questions. You know, what I describe in the book is the epistemic bravery of trying to collapse people's experiences into numbers. And I was very excited to do that. So I was working for a feminist think tank and there was a project with uh, one of India's largest, in fact, it's the world's largest labor union for women, SEVA. Mm -hmm. And we I was sent to the slums of Ahmedabad, uh, an area actually which was a slum then is no longer a slum now, this place called Bapunagar. And I was supposed to do a survey of women who were making incense sticks at home, so earning about a quarter of minimum wage. And when I started talking to them in that traditional framework of, you know, the question, and then you're looking at the person for a response, these women just look bored. I think my enthusiasm met their NY and eye rolls. You know, they just looked at me. They, they, they told me that apparently they'd been surveyed six times before by people exactly like me, right? Wearing our khadi kurta with our like kajal in our eyes and, you know, exactly the same prototype. They made fun of people like me. I was called survey wali didi. You know, they'd seen people like us so many times. And, um, you know, these were women who were unionizing. They were actively fighting for their own labor rights. They were answering their own questions of their own economic rights. They really didn't need an outsider to come in and collect all this information. And so they were bored. And so when they were bored, I turned to the few things that I knew that would lighten the mood. And in India, we know, you know, popular Hindi film just has such a strong pull. And I started asking women about their favorite actors. And everywhere I went, Niyasi, right from then the slums of Ahmedabad, you know, similar phenomena transpired in rural Uttar Pradesh to the forests of Jharkhand. And everywhere I went, I met Shah Rukh fans. And I noticed the moment we would talk about Shah Rukh, because I'm such a big fan and these women were big fans, suddenly the tone, the texture, the energy of the conversation just opened up. You know, suddenly everyone was excited. People wanted to giggle and talk about him. And as I started to diligently make notes and I sought the appropriate permissions to follow women, write about them, you know, all of that. After I did that, once I started looking at the initial round of notes I made, I realized no one was actually talking about Sharo. They were talking about how difficult it was to actually make money to watch him. Uh, they were actually telling me about how the real men in their lives never measured up to him. Uh, they were telling me about media, markets, you know, all the things that you just talked about. And I realized that by complete happenstance, I happen to have come across this one prism, which is the actor Shah Rukh Khan. I call him my research method, because when you talk about him, suddenly I was eliciting all these responses on masculinity, on markets, on the economy, on women's personal and romantic lives, because he's such a symbol of all of those. 
And then to me, the task was very simple. I just wanted to follow up and tell the story diligently. That's it. And so that's where the book began. And that's where the book ended uh, with lots of conversations about Shahrukh, which actually were never about Shahrukh. Uh, they were about the women themselves. Let me, let me just follow up on that real quick, because, you know, I, I'm a different generation. I grew up when um, Shahrukh, I mean, I left India, actually, when Shahrukh was just coming in, you know, 4G had just made a big splash, right, on TV. Yeah. But I grew up, I'm of the generation where for us, it was Amitabh Bachchan, right? Yeah. He was our big guy. Now, but there's a marked difference in how yeah. Amitabh was received and revered and in how Shahrukh, you know, how women, in how you've described yeah. in the book. And I'm curious about that because yes, of course it has to do with how every generation in India gets a little more liberalized, right? Yeah. Um, they're more exposed to things, but but there's still, I'm, I'm sure there's more here because, you know, the personas that both of them portray on the screen has a lot to do with how they're received and revered. Yeah. And Amitabh yeah. was this, you know, angry young man image. In his later years, he tried to do other things as well, of course, but for the most part, we know him as this um, hero who goes and seeks retribution and bad guys. You know, there's always a villain in an Amitabh yep. movie. And that's not always the case. The antagonist no, in Shah Rukh movie isn't always another person. He's he's the antagonist, Jenny. Sometimes you know, sometimes, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but yeah, he's yeah. the villain. So, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, you know, before we get further in, I just want maybe a comment or two on this difference between you know the, how the mantle passed from, let's say, Amitabh, and I know there were other big actors in between, but the mantle really passed from him to Shahrukh, right? Talk a little bit about how this there's a difference in how women revere or respect. You know, my sense is, Jenny, a couple of things. One is, you know, Amitabh certainly, and Mr. Bachchan, because I'm always very worried that, you know, <laughs> you, I've started doing this now a lot, Mr. Khan and Mr. Bachchan. Um, the, the thing about his icon is it's a very much, it's a stoic, reserved masculinity, right? Of a very stoic India of the license Raj. I, I see them, you know, and, and the anger is very much sort of, you know, it responds to that. I think that's what you were alluding to as well. Whereas I think what happened with Mr. Khan is that he came onto the scene just when telecom just boomed in the country and, and and really I mean you're right that every generation has an actor or a star of their own time um, but I think there was something very really spectacular about that shift in India itself because India opened up in a way I don't think the past or even now I don't think we've seen that level of opening up because suddenly your phone was connecting suddenly there were images everywhere which really didn't exist earlier and I think what allowed for the, and when what that allowed for him as an icon and for us as people who participated in that icon as fans was that we suddenly saw this actor who was revealing so much of his personal life. So you would have seen in the book so much of what these women are saying about him. Very rarely does it come just from the films. I'll come to that in a second. Mostly a lot of it, particularly amongst elite upper middle class fans, even the lower middle class. It tends to come from his interviews. Uh, he, people are asking him shamelessly questions on public national television about fidelity and infidelity. I mean, and, and all these young women have watched this and they remember it. They remember the things he said about financial insecurity. And I think suddenly you just saw this person who just became a real human being who you knew. I mean, he is very much a self-help guru, actually, mm -hmm. for a lot of the women in my book. And I know this is true, not just for the women in my book, but many fans of his. And I don't think, I think the lack of the satellite television boom in India just didn't allow for any other icon to do that. In fact, Mr. Bachchan did that after because we then started hearing about him and his bankruptcy and all these, you know, he suddenly became a person, but yeah. he really wasn't a person. He was always an icon, right? Very much larger than life. I think with Mr. Khan, there was this big shift because we just suddenly saw someone who had access to technology that would allow him to be much more intimate with us. So that's one. Yeah. And the second part, I think, Jenny, is that if you look at the roles that he's done, and it's and I say this right up in the book, right up in the beginning, which is, you know, it's not him. It's it's all the people who've written these films, produced these films. There's a there's a yeah. kind of persona they created. 
And I think it's this sort of softer masculine, which, you know, Anupama Chopra, I interviewed her for the book. She said to me, we just hadn't seen that before. You know, a kind of masculinity that one minute is chasing after a helicopter, racing with a helicopter, and the next minute is helping women cut vegetables and picking saris. You know, that combination of a man we had just never seen. And he went on an interview and he said to Simi Garewal, he said, I have a lot of women in me. I don't know of a single big movie star right of, mm -hmm. of our generation who would say that I mean now it might be trendy and in vogue to say things like this and I'm not sure how much people who say things like that actually mean it but with him it was just off the cuff and you know I, I my sense is that so it's both it's it's that telecom boom so he became more intimate to us but then it's also the roles he did and those films they may be really regressive texts perhaps on the surface as well you know the gender relations what's going on the sort of valorization of ritual and wealth. But I measured dialogue time in them, Jenny, and you find that women just speak much more. There's a lot of engagement between his characters and women. And I think women just appreciated this image of an icon who was performing emotional labor, who was doing the dishes. It was just a masculinity we hadn't seen. And plus, yeah. I, I'd contend he's sexier than Mr. Bachchan, but that's my belief. Well, I think that to your <laughs> point, you make a very important point about the women getting more speaking time in his movies because you know what that does it, it, this happens even in fiction even in fiction when prose fiction when you have women characters who are more than cardboard cutouts what happens yeah. is the reader is able to identify more and place themselves in that position not necessarily yeah. as lovers of Shah Rukh, but just as that character you know just as yeah. that that Preeti Zinta going off to I don't know Australia or whatever to study whatever you know yeah. so I think it it gave room for women to see possibilities for themselves because they saw these other kinds of women playing against him. So absolutely. And you know, one thing I will say, and it's one of you know, one of the I have several favorite both bits in my own book, which one shouldn't say, but I do. And um, one of them is that there, there's a young woman who's a migrant tribal Christian domestic worker who's moved from Jharkhand. She she works for an expat family in Delhi. Um, and she said to me, she saw this film called Rabne Banadi Jori. And for anyone who's mm -hmm. watching this, please watch that film if you haven't. And she kept saying to me, and this is a woman who is paid for care labor. Mm -hmm. And she says to me, isn't it marvelous the way he loves the way his wife makes his tiffin? And there is a scene, a sequence in Rabne Banadi Jori, Jenny, when he's looking at a tiffin that his wife has made for him and is serenading that tiffin, you know, the way they would, a woman in chiffon saris. And, you know, that imagery is, is so poignant for people across the board and it stayed with them. And I just, again, you know, it goes back to the fact that it just allowed for, you know, I, I think it's churlish to say he's had an impact on women because that's just difficult, right? I, right. I don't, I think many of the women were just ready for their own impact, right? I mean, I, I think it, to, in my book, I, I feel like the agency is with them and not with him, but he's mm -hmm. allowed for these possibilities to be dreamt of exactly as you're saying, right? About a girl, the things women can do. And yeah. the things they can expect men to do. And I think that that's what's interesting to me about his icon. So when we think about this specifically uh, in the sense that what the men can do, like when he's peeling vegetables, sitting with the aunties in the mm -hmm. house, right? So specifically um, from your conversations with these women whose husbands don't contribute to housework, which has magnified in the pandemic, how does SRK provide respite from that? Because apart from escapism, is this still um, a question of compromise or acceptance on the part of these husbands? Did you come across anything like that? You know, um, so men don't do housework. Um, and and when, I mean, there's data that, that shows it. I mean, and, and all the men that I follow in the book, none really was pulling their weight in the kitchen uh, or for parenting. I, I know that. I mean, statistically, it's true. Now, given that, um, I think I have two sets of responses that I noticed women had to this phenomena. One was actually the usual, which is you just settle, adjust, compromise, right? And then uh, you would have seen, I write about particularly elite upper middle class women, even if they had nannies or, you know, house cooks and cleaners, they would still be during the pandemic managing most of the work. And then they would watch Shah Rukh film marathons as like release and escape, right? Just for, for their exhaustion. But I noticed another response, which is actually much more true amongst the, what we would call the precariat, right? Working class communities, low income communities, 
where there was a lot of resistance uh, where i noticed that the women would constantly say well, why aren't you pulling your weight because you're no longer earning money as well the way you used to mm. and i think because the male breadwinner model is under such attack with the way the indian economy is moving and the way jobs have become so insecure that in fact increasingly i noticed that in it was in those communities right you would have seen the women who are making home based garments there they're expecting men to do more um and yet those that expectation is rarely met but i what i noticed as a difference through the 15 years that i followed these women is that the voicing of the expectations has become much more loud um i definitely saw that in fact it's true even in the way they would tell their own stories to me and it, it it's there in the text because i think suddenly they actually start to articulate much more um part of it is obviously because they got to know me better but i also think it's partly i noticed there was a sense of confidence that these women had in their expectations and particularly women who came from very difficult economic circumstances i really felt i i felt in fact if i were to follow these women for another 10 years we'll see because my senses were at this precipice where i think a lot of these women are just willing to give up on very traditional models of marriage and family because they realize that economically and even for their own pleasure it doesn't work they know that it's burdening them and i know, i heard that a lot more but the men i think just heard that they're yet to sort of act to meet it to meet those expectations yeah. this is exactly what is happening in south korea as well there are women who are vowing off relationships marriage and you know completely giving themselves to single dom because of all of these reasons uh, precisely yeah but and- yeah they don't have sharuk Yeah. Well, let me add to that because you mentioned before we got started, uh, you know, Sharna that uh, you had spent some time in Ahmedabad. Well, I lived in Ahmedabad from 2014 to 2020. And I did go around some of these neighborhoods and what what fascinated me because I had gone back to India after decades of being away mm. and I actually I'm a Bombay girl, so I had not actually lived in Ahmedabad before. This was me first time in Ahmedabad and I was doing research for another project, a uh, fiction project. but what was fascinating to me was how like you said um the the attitude of certain young women toward who they wanted their life partner to be in my case you know it was interesting i was single at the time so naturally because i'm an older woman the question always comes up as you can imagine in india right oh where's mr you know and i'd be like well no i'm not married i you know i work you know <laughs> and then they would get it and then i would try to turn the tables on them and be like well what about you and then you know they would start telling me about how oh you know i've i finished my education but you know i i need to i'm i'm planning you know i'm not going to just do marry whomever my my parents choose for me and it was refreshing to for me to hear that across the class hierarchies because that when i was growing up in india you would never hear such a thing you would never even yeah. hear a woman say or engage in a conversation so yeah. it is to do with as you said the liberalization and you know something like what you just said earlier about um sharuk khan's character you know serenading a tiffin in ramnevanadi yeah. jodi my god my mom would have passed uh-huh. away if my dad serenaded the tiffin. <laughs> 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 so we're talking about a generation gap right <laughs> she would have like but you know She made it. No, no, it's 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 you know it's it's funny to hear you say this because there's only two quick things which are, which which have really stayed with me. There are two things that Mr. Khan does in his films that every woman and it didn't matter which class background I was speaking to. I could be talking to the poshest princess of Delhi or I could be talking to a woman who is struggling to make ends meet in Ahmedabad. everywhere i went there were two things. One was precisely this about doing the dishes, the tiffin, that imagery, right? and the second was the embrace the embrace of the neck the embrace of just you know the way physical affection was shown and i think one thing i don't get into too much detail in because it's difficult to have to have language honestly jenny and neeti around conversations on violence because at the end of the day i am an in- elite woman who has been trained to think in english in in schools in india and you know what that's like right like there's a certain i speak hindi and bangla and and i can speak different languages but there is a way you think about sex and violence which tends to often be in english uh, that's just it's a matter of fact so i think someone else will write that book i'm really looking forward to reading it because what i realized was i think that embrace in a way was always uh, immediately the conversation of sharuk's embrace would be followed by the fact that men don't embrace like that in real life which i also think is a, is a way of tacitly talking about violence and there's obviously some obvious conversations about violence that i have had 
But my sense is that, you know, sex and violence are very, are enmeshed in some of these communities and in, in odd ways that I don't fully understand. And I think the reason why his imagery, this unambiguous embrace and the kissing of the neck was just everywhere. And you're absolutely right about this generational shift, Jenny. I saw it even through the women I followed. I say this in the book that I think the mothers want to marry Shahrukh, but the daughters want to be him. There's this complete switch. And I really believe that we are, I, I'm excited to see what happens. I mean, of course, politics will play its own role in what happens, but I really saw a lot of young women just pushing against norms in a very intimate and incremental way. You know, it's not out there for everyone to see, but I think exactly as you said, you walk down, you know, streets or go to any neighborhoods, you'll see it around us. And that gives me hope. So in that, in that uh, going ahead with the same uh, thought, um, Asaki pays attention to the women that he's with in, uh, in the roles he's in. Uh, to the leading lady, and he quest uh, listens to her questions, her confusions. He's very patient with her dilemmas. He is never, um, and he's a listener through and through. So I feel that if we move it from the intimate spaces to the workplace, being a listener also translates to those spaces. So, um, for example, being heard in an in an office meeting. So does this trait also translate beyond an optimism or a hope? Do you see women being heard in workplaces or what are the fans like, what are their complaints about not being heard in the workplaces? So I think it's very class specific. Uh, if I, if you look at the women in the book and again, perhaps counterintuitively where I found the most amount of, you know, forget employers, not listening to these women, these women were shouting so loud employers had no other choice which is all these women who are unionizing for minimum wages, yeah. uh, you know, be it forests, slums, villages, everywhere. Uh, these women were, they didn't care to play it proper and nice. They just wanted their voices heard. And I was, I think, I, as I said, it, I think at a very young age, these were very formative experiences for me because I met them at, when I was very young. Whereas I think when I start to move up the income echelon, then there are these scripts of sort of prettiness and niceness and politeness right, that women find themselves often trapped in. Um, and I think there, there are shifts. So for example, there's not a single woman who would say to me, so many women left work. In fact, women would just drop out of jobs because they would say, well, my husband is making enough money. This is elite upper middle class women. My husband is making enough money. I have a child that needs me and I have more caregiving skills than my husband does. Um, and my office is just a bro, you know, it's a bro club. I, I don't want to be part of that institution. And, and in a way, I really, it, it, it left me a bit dejected because I actually noticed that there were very talented women who felt that they wanted to do something with their careers, but they were leaving because the office environment was just so, it wasn't even oppressive. It was just so daunting to just transact with every day, right? It's these everyday constant, you know, negotiations. And I noticed that these were, women were often always, you know, they had the burden of these negotiations of trying to be heard, trying to always go to your, you know, the senior guy to get him to say what she wants to say so that then the argument will be made, right? There's a woman in my book who's uh, the poshest degree. She went to an Ivy League school, IIT, IIM. And yet she says to me that I need to go to a senior male boss to be heard. Um, and I think, you know, she loves looking at Shah Rukh's billboards when she's driving to work. And she says this in the book because she says each time I see it, I just, it's like a relief that, oh, there are at least men like this out there. But I, I think it's such a sorry state of affairs, right? That all these women in my book, particularly educated, well-to-do women are looking to some fantasy man, a character, because the real men in their workplaces and their love lives are just, you know, so deeply disappointing and unable to hear them. Whereas I think when I move down the income echelon, there, I think it's a very different set of trade-offs. I, I noticed that there, women were not going to play it nice and or even exit. They were just willing to just fight and scream and shout. And there are examples of that in the book. You know, it, it, you mentioned this about the class and, and the working women. And it reminded me, because after I read your book, I actually went and watched this David Letterman interview, right? Yeah. That Cheryl counted. And I haven't really watched, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a whole interview with Shah Rukh Khan ever. And it fascinated me because one thing I noticed was he was very open and honest about ambition. Yeah. And, and that I, I found that refreshing in a way. He was like, 
yeah, of course I want to be loved by everyone. Of course, yes, yeah. we work on the, we have a, we have this myth or fantasy because that's what they want. And I want to make them happy. I want to, ha I want a woman to walk away from a movie feeling good. And so I want to give her what she wants. And so, and, and yeah, I want to make money and I lived for a long time yeah. without it. So, you know, and so he, and, and what I wonder is that attitude of this uh, middle-class Delhi boy, that's what he was, right? A middle-class Delhi yeah. Yeah. who's made it good in Bombay. And he talked about his struggles too, of course. He's not yeah. like, you know, saying, oh, you know, it was all smooth sailing. But that journey, how has that journey of working hard and yeah. getting to where you want yeah. and being open about, hey, that's where I want to get to. That's what I want in my life. How has that influenced not just, well, Indian society, but particularly women who look up to him, say? So Jenny, it's fascinating to me because you know, the one thing we all know about India is most Indians who speak English will say I'm middle-class, but they're not middle-class. And this is not the British definition of middle-class. This is, you know, if you just straight use income or wealth, um, what, what an Indian means when they're middle-class is actually they're elite. They're in the top 5%. And you know, uh, in the book, I, I actually do this little map. It's called the six maps of India, like different ways you can look at privilege. And one of the things I realized, the reason this was interesting to me and I wanted to do this was because everybody kept telling me they heard the word middle class from Shah Rukh Khan, that that word entered their dictionary because he used to constantly use it to describe himself. Um, and that journey that you just talked about, which is a remarkable journey. And I think the impact that that had on particularly women, I think where it really speaks and, and has really taken a hold of a generation of women is people like me and the elite and the upper middle class who are salaried, who don't come from, and you know how in India, we don't come from a bureaucrat family. We don't come from land per se. And I explain this in those sort of hierarchies of privilege. Uh, we don't have a Jim Khanna membership as an example, right? And I think the interesting thing is when we, when we see him and there's a character in the book who really articulates this really well, she sees in him herself that, you know, he's someone who had some privileges because he did go to one of the best schooling institutions. He had access to the best university education that India can offer. Um, and yet he basically became, you know, what I call, uh, you know, using data, the merely rich to the mega rich, right? Like not that he was rich per se, but in that, in that he came from far more privilege than an ordinary Indian person would. So I think when, when elite upper middle-class women see him, that is their journey. And I think that is such a strong part of this reason why they relate to him. And I articulate this in the first half of the book. Having said that though, when I look at the emerging middle class, uh, women who have, are the first to study in their homes or the first to work outside the home in their families, typically from mercantile caste groups, usually, um, what I noticed there was that he is their professional guru. Um, they, uh, there's a character in my book who actually you would have seen, she makes notes of all the things that he says about how to manage your career, dealing with disappointment, ambition, exactly what you said, you have to work hard. You know, so many times she would quote back to me the things that he would say about how in the initial part of his career, nobody gave him great roles, but he said yes to everything. He took roles that other people had rejected that, you know, you have to be earnest and work hard. And she believed that so strongly for herself. Um, she has notes, you know, for any crisis that you may have in your career, she has a shower of quote for you, right? Um, and she has a book, she has a diary that she maintains that has all this information. She's kept all, meticulously kept all these quotes. And, and I think for her, he, again, that journey is very poignant, but it's poignant differently. It's not like she relates to him. Um, I think she relates to his hard work. So, so the journey, so you're right that I think the journey really has it resonates with lots of women, but I've noticed that the shape of that, you know, how it resonates is very different. Whereas someone like, I think for me, I actually see my, you know, I could see myself in him in a, in a strange way. And there are people in my book who do, but then there are women who are sort of emerging middle-class or working class communities. I think for them, he's very much ambition in a very raw sense, which is the things you have to put up with if you want to be successful um, and what success could look like. Yeah, just real quick, I'll just mention something and I'll pass on to Nithi. But, you know, what's, what fascinated me as I was reading your book and we, you know, what you just said, which is how women identify with Shahrukh. And I kept thinking, goodness, you know, there's got to be other, uh, there's got to be women actors 
in Bollywood yeah. who've also had a journey and a struggle. We yeah. don't hear about them. We don't see yes. this public myth around them. And so, yes, they're not as accessible or they prefer not to speak about that journey, whatever the case may be. But it's so fascinating that you have all these women, including, as you've said yourself, who identify with this man's journey. Yeah. Instead of, oh, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think hard of, you know, who to pick from, from you know, women who had to work their way up through the industry. But there are women. Should, I'm sure yeah, there are all women. of them. Yeah, all of them, yeah. all of them. So, and in fact, Jenny, I, I actually say this in the book, which is that, you know, then the media hyped up Mr. Khan's sort of journey. No one ever talked about Aishwarya Rai or Mila Matonkar or any, and none of these women came so from any said, privilege. Yeah, yeah none of them. And, and no one, but I, I have a theory about this, which is twofold. One is, of course, the media. But I also think the second is, uh, and of course, the way we write about women, right? And particularly, I think things are changing now, but especially back then. But I think the second thing is I actually feel that if a lot of these women truly told their stories, I suspect we would hear a lot about abuse and harassment and they would not really be stories that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful myth there about what he has done. I don't know how beautiful the myth that, you know, these women are also trying to preserve. And I think those are their stories to tell. Having said that though, Jenny, I will say one quick thing, which is I do notice in the sort of new, you know, what we call Gen Z or, you know, I always forget my monikers, but, but amongst younger women, like the teenagers now, you know, who are some, or maybe women going to college. And I write about this. They are obsessed with Priyanka Chopra. They're obsessed with Deepika Padukone. To me, these women really have now just stepped in to be the big stars. Um, I actually say that, you know, while I think Shah Rukh introduced women to what you know a nice man in London could look like I think Priyanka Chopra every day on her Instagram is telling these women what you can do with your own money you know and 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 one of my favorite bits is you know th th there's a young woman who lives actually in in, in in sort of an area near Delhi it's a slum it's an upgraded colony her mother's a domestic worker Bengali woman and uh, her daughter said to me well of course Priyanka married a foreigner because no Indian man would be comfortable with her success and he wouldn't let her work, right? And and so these are scripts that are now that playing out so very true. differently with new icons. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, and really quick to add to that, you know, you're right about Priyanka becoming a, kind of that icon because I've seen a lot of Instagram reels where it's just her doing self-help. Yes, I mean that's yes, that's, exactly. that's 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 how they're positioning. That's how her PR team is you're positioning her. You know, she's talking absolutely. about going and getting what you want, and I see these little reels, and I'm like, whoa, what what is this brand change that's happening with her? You know, but that's that's a, that is what it is. So, anyways, yeah, yeah. You uh, also mentioned these six maps of privilege. Do you want to briefly tell us about them? Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, of course, anytime anyone tries to create a framework, I, I, I'm one of those people who's somewhat anti-framework. This is why I like fiction, actually, much more than this. But, but I tried. I valiantly tried. Um, I think there are six ways that social scientists think about privilege. Um, one is caste, uh, you know, you, the map of your personal identity, caste, religion, that matrix. The second is uh, just take what, you know, we call the middle class, which is a set of attitudes around savings, career, uh, what you want to do with your life. So it's a more an attitudinal thing. And there are sociologists, like I'm particularly thinking of Maria Maslani and the various others who really get into this. And then they basically define, again, the middle class is really small in India. The third could be, do you pay tax? Something as simple as that. You know, if you pay tax, then you're probably middle class. And again, in India, that's barely 5% of the population. Uh, the fourth is income. And if we use that, then, you know, basically most of India is low income and we are very slim uh, elite that calls itself middle class and the middle is really small. If you say, well, income is not enough, the fifth map tends to be on wealth. Uh, so property, land, all those kinds of monikers, uh, which then starts to look similar to income, but again, you know, again, you basically see very small parts of, you know, the population is what we would find in the middle. Most of the population is barely without very many assets. Um, but I think to me, the sixth map, which is, I think, the most important one is also just social networks. Um, and, you know, I mean, caste mediate social networks, but I think post-liberalization, that started to shift a bit. And I, and, and I think in the first half of the book, you get a flavor of that particularly with women who are coming from upper caste families, but they always feel, and they're competing with other women who are also upper caste, 
but they're always complaining about how they don't have the networks that you know someone else does and there's a lot and that's actually the the I think the pull of Shah Rukh for a lot of these women because he really rose without access to any given network he created his own network um, and I think anyone and I think that really resonates I think that's the sixth map but the one thing I do want to say about all these six maps is that if you look at income, asset, tax, any of this, women are, I mean, if I were to actually start to say, well, how much income or wealth do women have? It's less than, you know, it would be less than 10% of the country. I mean, land is not in female name, assets are not in women's name. Uh, Entrepreneurship is not, I mean, businesses are not always run by women. Um, And so we have a serious crisis of just, you know, even these maps, uh, they are maps and frameworks for men, often written and thought through by men. I think that's changing. Uh, but that's basically what I, and I, I did this only because everyone kept calling themselves middle class in the first part of the book. And I wanted some vision correction for the reader uh, to just get a sense of, well, what does that mean? And then when you say Shah Rukh is middle class, and I'm sure people get angry at me because he's not, you know, he claims middle class from the same way I would, right? And I won't yeah. now. Um, because if you compare us statistically to the ordinary person in India, the average person in India is rural and is barely educated. Um, so that's the middle class. Uh, we are not. We are not the middle class. Perhaps we're middle class using sort of more sociological foreign definitions. And I think I just did that for some vision correction. Yeah, but it's been very helpful to go through the book with that. Thank I you. I also wanted to talk about. Uh, for me personally, a one shot of moment was Kalhunahu because he is not playing an ambitious man. He is not playing a very rich man's son, although he might be because he is uh, visiting his uncle for treatment in the States. Yeah. But that thing that he devoted his entire time to making sure that Nana succeeds in whatever she's doing, Priti Zinta's character, uh, if she, like she has love, she has uh, care, she her family issues are resolved. And that was sort of like a very big moment for me because for the first time, this was a man being in service of a woman's ambitions or a woman's desires. And then jump to that, there is Swadesh where, again, he changes his career trajectory completely. Yes, Uh, after he meets uh, this woman who is teaching in rural India. And I felt like, so again, the way you also map your trajectory to how SRK became an ideal man for us, it's the same. We have idolized him. The love he showers on the woman, uh, the one he desires. We've been heartbroken by this, by our real life experiences. I'm just like, it's like a very life guru question, but what next? What do <laughs> the single dumb women who've been, whose myth has been shattered and they continue to fantasize him? What is next for them? Uh, I, I, I believe the next for them is Patan, uh, which <laughs> I, I, I'm a bit afraid of. Yeah. And I will watch because I'm I'm a massive fan. And I notice yeah. that even in the films where he's beating up people and he's trying to build muscle, he still does his masculinity even in those films is very unusual. I mean, yeah. no one could have taken, I think going back to the way we started, you know, Jenny mentioned Mr. Bachchan. You know, Mr. Khan took Mr. Bachchan's dawn and made him campy. You know, the, yeah. The, yeah. That, that was a, I mean, who, totally. I, I don't think anyone would have interpreted it that way. I mean, it's quite remarkable, right? So I, I'm looking forward to Patan. We'll see what happens. Um, and then we'll see what happens next. I will say one thing, though. I, I think what really is critical in a lot of what you just said about his icon and the poll, and I, I suspect we'll continue to see this. We see this in ads he does where he's silent and he lets mm-hmm. the cricket team, our female cricket team, shine, right, in that ad. Um, is that I think there's this sense, you know, we always talk about love. And I think, you know, his, the love that he has shown, of course, on screen is those wide open arms and, you know, embrace. But there's also a love which is much more concrete. And I noticed that all the women in my book keep speaking to these concrete instances where his characters will always put someone else's welfare, someone else's feelings, someone else's needs above their own. Um, and I think that is love. And I think for women who are socialized in a patriarchy to always perform love, which actually is almost an excuse, love is the language that basically yeah. ensures that women will put their needs lowest always. The, to see a man now performing that role, I think was just so radical. And I think not enough is said about that in the yeah. way those films were written and the way they were thought through. And I think as long as we have a generation of women who are constantly neglecting their needs because they're told that's love, 
they will look to an icon who will show them love in a very different way and maybe they'll seek it and they'll claim it for themselves and so i hope he does that and my personal hope is he does like a version of mad men because i think he'd be great in it yes yeah yeah uh, you know, and, and it's interesting we, near this question about what's next. And yes, we know that that movie's next. But something you'd mentioned, you know, in the book, and I think you kind of mentioned at the outset, was you don't know whether there will be another Shah Rukh. And the reason is he came at this inflection point for India, right? For India's economy. And like you've said, with, with you know, the ubiquity of phones and his visibility, his accessibility, the myth-making... Uh, I think Indian PR people became more professional in knowing how to manipulate uh, media. All of those things, you know, came together, right? It was a confluence of all of those things. And like you said, it, it took a whole village to make this myth. Um, and unless there's another major inflection point in the economy, which is not likely, because I mean, we're all saturated with social media and stuff now, there's probably not going to be another particular icon of that stature um uh, uh, maybe we should say maybe not a male icon of that stature maybe Priyanka is trying to step into those shoes now as the woman empowered woman role right but if that ha if that's what happens let's say 10 years down the road you know Shah Rukh Khan is living his easy retired life in Panvel farmhouse somewhere what happens to because cinema is such a big part of lives yeah. in India and even for the yeah. diaspora who's outside India what happens to this iconography or to this need for escapism or to this need for fantasy how how do you foresee that being filled potentially well, you know, not a, that you have a crystal ball but you know how do you see no that? I, I I have a slightly I think this is going to be a bleak note um, mm -hmm. I think we are seeing what's going to happen and those are icons in our politics um, mm -hmm. I think if you look at our current prime minister, if you look at the way so many aspiring politicians with extremely harmful views um, position themselves, they're very much using the language of cinema, the way they project themselves, the way the billboards are done. In fact, uh, a young woman who I interview, I actually write this in the book that her, uh, while her brother idolized our prime minister, she idolized her independence and Shah Rukh Khan. And my sense is, I think for a lot of young men, young men who are struggling, they will find their escapism in perhaps these areas. And I think we are in a very dangerous path as we can see where India is moving in that direction. And I think some women too. And I think when it comes to cinema, my sense is I do see a lot of icons around us. But my feeling is as our media system has become more fragmented, Jenny, I think we just have very localized, hyper-local icons, right? So I actually say that I think Shah Rukh might be the last umbrella superstar in that sense. Um, maybe Deepika Padukone and Priyanka could be the last umbrella superstars. I don't know. What I do know is everywhere I now go, everyone has a local favorite. And I think mm -hmm. that is also because the local economy for media is mushrooming languages. And I, th I think part of it is good, which is that, you know, local languages, suddenly Malayalam cinema is being watched by people in the North. I mean, there's so much movement. And I think that's great. But what that has done is it's flattened out this one universal star. Um, and in fact, the one universal star right now that we do see is in our politics. Um, and, and one thing I will say is, I don't know, looking at the way things are going, they won't let poor Mr. Khan retire in peace in Panvel because it seems like everything he does, there's some, you know, hateful chorus that has some issue with it or the other. I yeah. hope uh, I hope he never retires and I hope, you know, he goes from strength to strength. Yeah. Well, but, you know, you, you mentioned that your, your bleak note is that it would be some, the icon, the next icon will come from politics. I had been thinking when I posed that question that the next icon will be a social media influencer, which is just as bleak, to be quite honest, because yes. a lot of them are <laughs> pointless and useless. But, um, but you know, it, it's interesting because um, I think how cinema has been such a big part of at least my generation's life. Yeah. Social media, I think the, the what they call the native internet generation now, yes. who for them, social media is the big thing, right? And that's why yeah. I had, my head was going in that direction. But you, you make a good point about politicians because that, um, one other thing I remembered as I was reading your book was, it was reminding me just a little bit, even though it is a different book of Snigda Poonam's book, you know, yeah. and her focus is not the women, uh, of India, yeah. but in a way, she's also looking at, I mean, she comes at it not as an economist, but as a journalist, but yeah. she was also looking at, you know, these young 
Indians who had grown up in this neoliberalized India, right? Um, or liberalized India, I mean, neoliberalization now, but liberalized India and what their aspirations were. And these young men were definitely focused on politics as yeah, the way ahead. Exactly. Yes, they want to make money and yes, they want to, you know, find jobs, but they identified very strongly with strong man politician type people. And so yeah. what you just said also kind of reminded me, I, I did want to make that connection between these two books in a way. They're very different books, but in a way they're both looking at the same journey of the country, right? From uh, in fact, in fact, Nikda and I, we actually, I've, I've, we said it's, mine is almost like a, the, the theme. I often say you should read them together. We actually yes. say this and yeah, we were I, in conversation know. and we were, we were, so I'm glad you made that link and we're both. Yeah, I wish we had thought of that. Yes. I wish I had thought of it earlier because I would have asked her to be here then. You know, it would have no, been. I mean, Anyways, yeah. yeah, no, no, next time. And, and you know, we had this wonderful conversation once in Delhi, in fact, for the book. So she's she's been a very integral part and in actually in the journey of writing this book. Right. So I'm very grateful to her. But what I will say, though, you know what you said about social media and politics, but they're now the same, right? Because yeah. where are all these politicians? So, I, yeah, I, I hear you. And I think it's linked. Having said that, I think this is precisely why we need the Khan, the big superstars, because I think we need escape in that direction. Which yes. is more healthy, I feel, um, than you know what we're seeing in our politics. So, yeah. to add to that bit, I mean, in the entertainment industry, speaking strictly from that perspective, we have King Khan, but I also feel that the next king is going to be content specifically because the way people recognize specifically, say, with the money heist sitting in a place in Europe, yeah. somewhere in South America, in Delhi or Korea and Squid Game also, which is about, uh, you know, people who are struggling against this class structure and the capitalism. So I also feel that content becomes a way in, in which this umbrella can be created, but yeah, it also dismantles the idea of the star, the icon, the one true king of yeah. uh, <clears throat> an industry. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah. So with that, I know we're drawing to a close, Neeti, so if you have yeah. a... I actually had a closing question uh, for Shraina. Um, so what are the things they are, that they are learning from the reception of the book? Uh, have the last few months reaffirmed mm. a lot of your ideas or are they making you question any of your choices that you made for the book? So what is the learning curve like? It's been time? very hard to find a foreign publisher. So I'm very upset about that, <laughs> but I'm, we're working on it. <laughs> I have to, I have to start with that. Um, and, and while I think South Asia, in fact, I'm really happy to say the book will release in Pakistan as well, uh, which is really, oh, I mean, lovely. given how difficult it is for books, you know, to move, I'm really excited about that. So Liberty Books will be putting the book out soon. Uh, it's already on pre-order in Pakistan. That makes me really happy. Um, and I think the other thing I've learned is how quick people are to just dismiss anything which has any reference to Bollywood, uh, especially if it's a woman, because one of the initial things that I noticed that happened a lot was a lot of people would say, well, has she written fan fiction about uh, the actor? And is it just, a, you know, Mills and Boons kind of, you know, silly tale? And by the way, there's nothing silly about Mills and Boons, more power to people who read them. Um, but uh, it took some time, I think, for people to read it and then to stabilize that this is actually about the labors and loves of women and anchored through an actor. So that was interesting. And, and I think we're always very quick to dismiss certain, you know, cert certain women's voices and certain kind of writing. Yeah. So I think that's changed. Um, and the third thing I'm actually really happy to note is I noticed that um, a lot of young police officers, women police officers, and I know this sounds very strange, but I'm actually good. So many people who've written to me and I've got marvelous, lovely comments, they're really heartwarming. But so many young women police officers have been writing to me telling me, well, you know, you should have put a police officer in the book as well, because so many of us are Shahrukh fans and they really? love the book. Yeah, it's oh. amazing. It's amazing. I would have thought and, they'd and be I... all after Salman because of, you know. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see too. Fans. No, no. no. So many. So maybe I, I've actually now made a note of this, which is, you know, there are lots of these young women who've reached out to me. So maybe I will follow up and see what I can do at some point. But yeah, but do, all, do it's, been, it's been marvelous. And, you know, put it on Substack or something and, and sell it to readers of the book. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm disappointed to hear that you were, you're not getting foreign publishers. I will say... Um, uh, what the the Castaway Mountain? Somia Roy, yes. Somia Roy's yeah. Bombay book has a, a the U.S. publisher for that. I think would be a good fit. I'm just putting it out there. 
Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> well, so with that, I think Nidhi, if you did, you have any other questions at this point? No, I, no, not not at the moment. Well, no, this this was such. A, I mean, I know we could go on and on. I I literally, yeah. you know, I literally this morning I reopened the book because I read it last year, but I reopened the book and I was going through and I was thinking, gosh, you know, this topic is endless. Shah Rukh Khan has given so much material, you know, enough for you to write a book, but I think just all the conversations around him still continue. It fascinates yeah. me how he, like you said, he's this receptacle um, for so many things, you know, it's, it's, you can have conversations at all levels. And, you know, one thing that struck me also in closing, I'll say that what this book shows us is that even though we talk about the big divides, and you mentioned the six types of privilege, but the big divides in India, whether that's across class, caste, religion, gender. And here's this one man who, one man, yes, he's had a lot of help, but one person who's yeah. basically shown us none of these matter. Yeah. You can be Absolutely. from any class, any gender, and you'll still enjoy my movies. You'll still enjoy what I have to say and you'll yeah. have a good time. And to me, that's powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. That right there tells us. And, you know, unfortunately, some politicians know that, too. And they're able. To yes, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I will also say that I think what's most powerful is he offers language because suddenly, you know, for people who may not even speak to each other in the same language or have the same idioms, when you say a man like Sharo, it tends to mean something similar. And you see this in the book across classes. So, yeah, I, I fully he's agree, a symbol. Jenny. Yeah, he's this yes, kind of yeah. secular symbol. And, and we didn't even, I know we didn't even touch on or get into the whole thing with his son and what that has meant for the, you know, industry, which we'll have to do at some other time. But thank you both so much. This was a great conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed your book, Shrana. And thank your you. review, Nirthi, was just spot on. Thank I you. just thoroughly enjoyed reading that. Thank and we will so share much. that also with our audience.